This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Here are two phrases you don't often hear together. Teaching at Yale and Harvard and being a professional psychic. Both of these things describe intuitive educator Naomi Pabst, who has focused her academic career on Black studies and women's studies. Five years ago, she walked away from academia to pursue the louder calling of her soul, ultimately becoming a mentor to change agents and influencers on the art of life and love. Coming up, you'll hear how she faced judgment from her peers, and you'll hear about race, gender, and human suffering, and how past life regression can help you understand all of this. Plus, you'll learn how discovering her two-year-old daughter was psychic set Naomi on a new and meaningful journey. Welcome to the All Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Naomi, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for coming in. Oh, such a pleasure, Julie. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I first heard about you actually from your daughter. We were all in the same personal and professional development group, and I happened to share about my background. And I, whenever I go into new social situations and I talk about, oh, you know, I, I had a very rational upbringing and now I do psychic work or intuitive work, I always hesitate just for a second and then I just kind of blurt it out just, in, you know, hoping that people will uh, receive it in in a positive manner and then and then uh then she said you know what you need to talk to my mom (laughs) (laughs) and that was how how we got connected so yes Mm -hmm. so let's start off by having you share what your spiritual journey has been like I mean you you taught at Yale you taught at Harvard. Yeah. It's academia is very, I'd say, conservative. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, especially and those schools. Especially those schools. <laughs> and and I've been there. I think people still, even even my Yale um, fellow alums, when I when I tell them what I do, they they kind of blink, and then some of them might just shift conversation and start talking about you know their doctor lawyer you know business work. Um, what what was that like? Bring us through that journey. That's a, that's a big question. I mean, the question, that question could be answered. I mean, it, the journey until now, the, the awakening began when my daughter was about two years old, when I was teaching at Harvard. And it's, I'm still on it today. So let me start with the question of how my being a psychic was received while I was at Yale, because I was at Yale for 10 years as a full-time assistant professor, which is, you know, uh, just an untenured professor. Uh, And I took myself off the tenure track at eight years in and put in a two-year notice saying that I would be leaving uh, academia to pursue this calling. 
But I was doing the work. I was working as a professional intuitive while at Yale. I didn't leave to become one. I was one for eight years overlapping with it. Um, and by the time I left, I had a full-fledged, by the time I left Yale, I had a full-fledged international client base of hundreds of people. Um, so uh, I mastered the art of, uh, of really tuning out what people think because I was open about it. I was like, yes, I'm working as a psychic. I'm a professional intuitive and I'm a full-time Yale professor. And uh, so people talked, but I found that the more... People had ideas about it. People thought it was strange. People judged it. People, some people thought it was just plum nuts. People certainly made fun of it, including people who would call me to have readings. You know, there was like a public narrative of thinking Naomi's little crazy or odd or off, uh, and a judgment about what they then perceived I, um, like my commitment to Yale was, uh, because I was very serious about my academic pursuits, but I think it kind of appeared to fly in the face of that, right? My being an intuitive on the side uh, offended some people um, and made, made them feel betrayed somehow. Uh, but, um, but a lot of people would actually come for readings, right? There's, I think you well know, a lot of us keep our spirituality hidden or people were just curious. I've, I've, I've had hundreds of my thousands of clients I've served over the, over the 14 years now total that I've been doing this work. Um, eight of them overlapping with academia, uh, I have um, served thousands of people, but I've served hundreds of people who would soon, who'd never be caught dead going to a psychic. Hundreds, I attract those people. I attract people who, well, let me, I, I trust her somehow. I, this can't be that crazy or she wouldn't be doing this, right? She has her feet grounded in the real world and sort of understands business and commerce and industry. And I've worked with people in publishing and in politics and in media and lots of celebrities and, um, you know, a lot of influencers, a lot of people making a difference in the world uh, in all kinds of different industries. And, and so people will sort of override their own skepticism for the sake of a reading. And then the reading can just sort of carry its own magic and power aside, regardless of what they think of it. You know, there was a big lesson for me around um, kind of tuning out what other people think, not only because I didn't want to be limited by what other people think, but because what other people think isn't always as clear to them as they think it is, right? People have ideas about things that aren't fixed and that aren't as, uh, you know, aren't as fundamental as, as they would tend to believe. So, so let's say there was a lot of skepticism by people at Yale. There were also a lot of people who were skeptical and secretly seeking readings from me. And they would sooner die than have anybody know. And they were indeed making fun of me behind my back. Go figure, right? That's, that's the human condition. We're complicated creatures. Yeah, but I will add to that, um, the more comfortable I became with my identity as a psychic, as an intuitive, as a tarot reader, and the more confident about the difference it was making for people, that it's worth, it's just worth taking the fall. It's worth sort of the, the fall in status from Yale professor to intuitive, right? It's not obviously the same cultural capital. The more confident I became with that, the more I didn't, I didn't become privy to what people were saying behind my back. It just sort of went away. I'm sure people still talk, but I don't even remember the last time anyone had anything to say about what I do, you know? So 
there was a time when I was still really uncomfortable about it. Years ago, I was talking to a mother in the playground of Anat one of Anatola's friends' moms in the playground, and she asked what I did. And it was one of the first times I, I was a Yale professor. So, but instead of just saying that and kind of, you know, getting that little secret burst of status, right? Oh, I'm a Yale professor, because it does sound a little highfalutin. Um, I said, and I'm a professional psychic. <laughs> and she looked at me like I was, you know, just, you know, lost my marbles and she walked away. She took her kid and left. She took her kid and walked away upon me saying that. Oh, wow. And and but that was a mirroring of me, right? That was a mirroring of my own insecurities and my own embarrassment and my own self-consciousness because we're powerful beings and we ourselves set the terms for so much of what we're experiencing, right? I was ripe for that to happen because I had a little bit of shame. So um, so that doesn't happen to me anymore because I'm so plugged into what I do. I'm so confident about what I do uh, as far as that goes, mm. as far as being an intuitive goes. Yeah. I can completely resonate with that journey because it is, it, it is a very gradual process for, for someone who, who was not familiar. Like I, I wasn't, yes. I don't think my, most of my life was not aware. I was not aware of psychic ability and mm -hmm. it was until you know six maybe six eight years ago mm -hmm. and and so it did take a lot of of looking at identity and what does it mean and credibility yeah. and what does yes. that mean mm -hmm. and and is my message strong enough or more powerful enough where i can uh, have that over kind of tip the scale of all the fears that were mm -hmm. kind of piling up yes. about how others might perceive me or mm -hmm. will will I never find a job again if I need to find a job yes. like all these things so I, I really commend um your your courage in in being in that situation and I'm like what what eight what time frame I'm just curious to know mm -hmm. like what time frame were you at Yale just so I know <laughs> uh, I went to Yale uh okay I was at Harvard from 2000 until 2002 and then Yale from 2002 until 2012. Oh wow so yeah. we did overlap and did I had we? no we were idea there at the same time yeah so wow. I, I graduated there was in an article about me in the in the Yale uh Crimson um while I was there about you know it was like Yale professor moonlights as a psychic or something and I was mm -hmm. in my mind like no 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 I'm a psychic moonlighting as a Yale professor what oh, are you I talking about <laughs> let me get the record straight yeah, yeah, yeah exactly you got you got it backwards dude <laughs> oh wow and and I was not aware of of any form of spirituality back then yeah and and so it's just so funny and we were ships passing in the yes, night and it yes, would have been yeah. you know really fascinating to to connect on that level wouldn't it wouldn't it have been exactly yes yeah 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 but the journey it took a long time uh the kind of confidence i'm talking about i can confidently now say yes as i've evolved beyond my self-consciousness my gosh that took years it took years to uh evolve into not being ashamed and embarrassed and horrified and uh and doing it in secret, uh, you know, it was it was a big deal. There was a lot of hiding and a lot of even self mortification. I just I couldn't believe I had stumbled into something I loved so much and that was so embarrassing. I could not believe it. It's just that it was I was compelled like a like it was like a drug helping people. I was so compelled to help people using this gift. Um, so this brings me back to Anatola and I guess the earlier part of your question of 
how did the awakening happen? Or, you know, mm. what was the, the beginning was having Anatola. And um, that's my daughter. She's now 19 and going to NYU in, in film, NYU Tisch School of Film and Television. Um, so having her was a big awakening because I was a serious academic at the time she was born. I didn't even really believe in love. I mean, I believed in it as a kind of a Western conditioning. I believed in love as a, a social construction, you know, like we're, we're conditioned into this love idea, you know. But her birth um, just catalyzed, awakened my heart, let's say, uh, as I think so many children's birth catalyzed and awakened their parents' heart. It just cracked open a heart where I was completely living in my mind up until then. So she started that uh, awakening process just by being born. Uh, and I was nearly 30 and I was a PhD student. And um, so I went off to Harvard with her. She was two, um, got my first academic post. It was a postdoc, a teaching postdoc. So it was a two-year uh, two years teaching grad students and undergrads alike um, in a Woodrow Wilson postdoctoral fellowship. I mean, it was exciting. Mm. It was an exciting opportunity. Um, around the age of two, Anatola started exhibiting psychic abilities. She, it was very clear and pronounced. And as an intellectual, I was never a firm skeptic who didn't believe in such things. It had just never, it's kind of like what you said about being at Yale. It just didn't, hadn't really entered my life too much, right? The uh, the metaphysical and so on. I'd certainly had a few metaphysical experiences, a few mystical experiences in my life, but like most people, I kind of just explained them away. And I started by explaining away Anatola's gifts, right? Like she told me at age two um, that my car was going to be towed. She woke me up at five o'clock in the morning, maybe six o'clock in the morning, to tell me my car was going to be towed. So in Boston, they tow your car when it's street cleaning, right mm. on street, unlike New York, where you get a ticket. Oh, wow. You, um, they, they actually tow your car. Mm. She woke me up early in the morning to tell me the car was going to be towed. And I shut her down. I was like, why are you waking me up? You're only two. What do you know about car towing? I know. I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and I was like, you know, why are you such an adult? This is not your responsibility to take on. And then I tried to go back to sleep. And then she woke me up again. Mom, your car is going to be towed. And I was like, I looked out the window at the street cleaning sign. And I was like, oh, my goodness, the car is going to be towed. Now, I was a single mother. So I took her. I had to take her with me to go out and move the car. My car and the neighbor's car were the cars that were out on the street. And everyone else had moved their car. So I rang the neighbor's doorbell and said, hey, dude, your car's going to be towed. And he came out and got his car. So she saved both of us from getting our car towed. So at first, I was like, oh, how did she know? I mean, what they tell? did they tell her in preschool that day? Like, how did she know? And then how did she wake up, right? It was all becoming, I was starting to realize I was the absurd one trying to explain it away, right? She wasn't the absurd one. I was. How does a two-year-old know to say this? Someone, a girly girl who knows nothing about cars, car towing, you know, waking me up at six in the morning, who's an artist, who's not, um, right, who's not focused on, uh, you know, administering, you know, she's not an administrator by nature. <laughs> she's quite a free spirit. <laughs> um, I realized very quickly that, um, that, there was not only something to this, and I needed to find out what it was, but just as much how helpful it could be if it was real. And that's what, that's what spoke to me, is how helpful it had been. So for me, it was never about the sort of magic trick aspect of it. It was always about, wow, you could really help people with this psychic thing. And for me, it's always been about 
um, the service, the helping, the like, how can you enhance someone's life? How can you, you know, help people alleviate suffering? How can you help people achieve their aims and discover their purpose and, and achieve deeper levels of well-being and health and wholeness and power? And, you know, that's the journey that it became for me very quickly. Beautiful. Coming up, you'll learn more about what Naomi does now and how she turned what she learned from her time at Yale and Harvard into the practice that she has today. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSen, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Naomi, you talked about how how all of this has led to what, what you've always been doing, I'd say. You were moonlighting as a professor. What... What would, how would you describe the work that you do now, kind of transforming people and helping people tap into their purpose and their intuition? Mm, that is a wonderful question because my purpose um, has evolved tremendously. So I have a keen sense of purpose within me, and I know not everybody experiences themselves in that way, but my whole life I have felt this percolating, crackling calling. It led me to academia. Um, I had no aspirations of winding up teaching in the Ivies, but that passion, that drive, that desire to, to know, and then ultimately to teach and to do it all sort of with the engine of passion, just curiosity about my subject matter and a sort of delight in sharing those findings, um, led me down a kind of, uh, train track in a sense. Now, when I went from Yale professor to psychic, right? I left, I put in my two-year notice, I walked away, I built an intuitive consulting practice that was thriving and buzzing. I thought I had um, achieved my purpose. I genuinely did. I thought, oh, that's my story. Wow, who would have ever thought? It's the last thing I ever expected, but I went from Yale professor to intuitive. Um, well, little did I know that the journey would continue. And so for about the past four years or so, five year, four or five years since I left, I have been doing um, transformational teaching on the art of life and love, right? Uh, helping people step into their purpose, helping people master their love lives, helping people hone their intuition, because I think honing our intuition, you probably agree, is, is a way to sort of, uh, it's probably the number one best way we can improve our quality of life by um, expanding our intuition, heeding our inner directives, 
tapping into that part of ourselves that we're so often cut off from, um, that, that sort of becomes a bit of a superpower, right? It, it also comes attended by greater levels of awareness, um, greater levels of compassion for other people, right? It's not just greater levels of knowing and clarity. There's also, in my experience of it, and this may not be true for everybody, but my experience of my own intuition comes with a blast of extra white light, a blast of extra compassion and love for people uh, that, that's sort of automatic. Like when I tuned into the client I had who was a newly minted surgeon and I felt immediately his shame and embarrassment around how he had gotten through medical school uh, and just barely by the skin of his teeth and cut a lot of corners and uh, that's, to say it nicely, cut a lot of corners becoming a surgeon, right? That's not a surgeon you want to wind up under his knife. But the level of compassion and understanding I felt for how it happened, how life, how his conditioning, how his culture, how his parents, how his family had steered him down that path, sort of against his own inner uh, alignments, right? He didn't want to become, he had no real interest in it. Uh, and I could feel nothing but compassion for that at the same time, right? So there's no judgment. And, um, and so for me, there's been this powerful evolution into, um, you know, teaching people how to hone that ability to have compassion and understanding for people through expanding their intuition. So, so I was really compelled by uh, improving people's lives for the sake of making it a better world, right? The idea that, um, you know, a better world begins with a better you. Because, you know, I've, I've worked with so much of people's pain, which causes people to then not only feel less pain themselves, but to cause other people less pain. You know, we cause pain to other people through our own pain. So that's been my passion. And that was the same passion that led me to become a black studies professor at Harvard and Yale. And I was also a women's studies professor. Uh, when I was at Harvard, I was in the women's studies department and the black studies department. When I went to Yale, I was in American studies and black studies. Um, <clears throat> but, but I've always been really, uh, you know, I want to say concerned. I've always had a great, uh, you know, passion for alleviating the suffering that can come from, you know, sexism and racism and, and even just ideas of fixed ideas of gender and fixed ideas of race. So not just racism proper, but even just racial thinking or gendered thinking, right? The thinking matters as we discover more and more when we heighten our, our intuitive abilities, our thoughts matter tremendously. What we're thinking, um, what we're thinking is actually setting the terms for so much of our reality in ways that we don't realize and honing into our intuition can help us with that. So I was doing that for years and thought that was my calling. And then more and more every year, there's more and more of a turn to the bigger pictures again, right? That my hidden agenda has always been how to alleviate the suffering in the world writ large, right? So I worked one-on-one -on -one with people individually for years and I did small group workshops for years and I'm still doing that. It's just that the intuitive work now has evolved into really mentoring influencers, right? Like doing three-month journeys with people where they can intensively go through a transformation with me into greater levels of their power and their right, really activating their purpose and their ability to be of greater service so that my gift is making a bigger difference in the world by helping people to not just master their love lives and their private lives, but to really help game changers change the game. Um, more and more, I'm now being guided to sort of step into my own ideas around the game that I want to change. And that's been a difficult transition for me. I'm realizing I'm kind of 
you caught me kind of in that moment of sort of uncomfortably realizing that a lot of my compulsion, I have a deep compulsion and passion and drive to help and heal other people, to help other people fulfill their mess, right? Their, their, their missions. Um, and it's time for me to commit to my own. And, uh, and I'm sort of using this helping healing, uh, sort of motif, this drive to do that for people as a way to right helping the helpers. I actually need to step into my, um, my own, uh, calling more deeply. So I'm in the process of doing that, you know, um, it's, it's requiring a lot. It's required a lot of, um, letting go and a lot of having my life sort of, uh, you know, things being taken away from me, right? A lot of stripping away, right? We often go through a stripping away process when the universe is asking us to transform because I was very stuck in my ways of doing things. I was very, um, attached to my workshops and my retreats and my master classes and my clients and sort of had um, tent pegs in the ground around that sort of preventing me from right or using it as a way to procrastinate on getting my own book written which I've been trying to write for a long time and just putting my own message out in the world straightforwardly my heart my soul my message my mission so I'm I'm in process around that. Uh, it's in its beginning stages. It's still being masterminded by me, but I'm deep in the Imago process. I'm in a big birthing process of this thing that wants to be born through me. So it's not something concrete. I, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but it is around race and it is around a racial healing and reorientation that has love at the heart of it, where we all together have to tap into energies of love and personal accountability um, to make this world a better place. Um, we can't any longer be operating out of oppositional consciousness, which did work in the past, right? Being opposed to or quote unquote resisting had its place in the past. But if you hone your intuition and if you study spirituality, you'll understand that there's an evolution in sort of the human, there's an, in, there's a, there's a shift in the human condition. There's a shift in the earthly state around what's called the veil, which means, um, the larger picture reality space around us is changing, right? It's why all of us are going through such a challenging time personally and globally, right? On a, on the big picture and the small picture. And because of those sort of etheric shifts that are affecting all of us, we can't do things the way we used to do them. It's like having your second child. You can't raise the second child the same way you raised the first child because they're calling for something different. And we're relying on the parenting strategies of the first child. Let's say it's the strategies we used in the past, say the civil rights movement. Um, we might make some tweaks, but we actually have to raise this baby differently. The problems before us may seem to be the same, but the solutions have to be different. We have to work together, for instance. We have to collaborate. We have to listen to each other. We have to learn to communicate better. We have to learn to land our messages. We have to come from our heart. We have to learn to come from our heart. We have to have compassion for one another. Even if we perceive ourselves as victims, it's up to us to sort of evolve beyond our victim consciousness and to have compassion for the level of pain that would cause somebody to do something even horrible. Um, there's, there's an evolution that's required if we actually, at this point, want to make this world a better place. And I think we, I think we do. Even the people doing horrible things in this world, I think, want to make, want the world to be a better place. It's just that there is so much suffering within all of us to greater and lesser degrees 
But the people who are really doing the horrendous things that, that we're horrified by are in such deep pain that adding our judgment onto that and adding our you know, maligning and our viciousness and our venom to what's already a form of an illness isn't helping to heal the illness. So I'm beginning a movement that's starting with love and, and everyone's welcome and uh, you know, not looking for sophistication. Bring your ignorance, bring your questions. You know, it's really at the heart of it is how do we heal race by, by, um, by basically um, not having the answers to the questions, but by questioning the answers that we're currently relying on. It's kind of like what, what we resist persists. Yes. So when we yeah. shift our mm -hmm. focus away and can transcend, transcend mm -hmm. the, maybe the little compartments of, of things we focus on typically like race, gender, mm -hmm. all of those things, yeah. class to, to transcend that to love. I can, I can mm -hmm. see that like the connection between all human beings. Yes. Yeah. What, what comes to mind and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this is, um, how I've heard of people who, who are aware of, of reincarnation mm -hmm. and of their souls occupying different bodies, ah, different races. Yes. And, yes. and when they realize that, let's say if they go through a past life regression or when they've, or when they have memories of speaking a different language or, or being in a different culture, it, it shifts what, what they know as as human yes exactly and how do you how do you see yeah. all of that i out? love that question so much one of the chapters of my book is on that um is on precisely past life experience we have all been you know you may not believe it but in my experience as an intuitive having studied spirituality deeply and having a visceral a deep personal experience with it um, my spiritual awakening came about twofold one anatola my daughter 19 year old now uh, telling me at age two my car was going to be towed, but also at that time telling me about our past life experiences together. I was like, holy, what? Like you're two. How can you even be talking like this? So when children, this is customary, when, when young children, two years of age, speak of their past life experiences, which is actually very common, they wax into this language way beyond their years. They're not speaking as a two-year-old. It's fascinating. That's, I was listening to her very closely. She said to me at age two, Mom, did you know that I used to be your mom? I was like, how could a two-year-old even come up with that idea, much less say it in those terms, right? She said it so matter-of-factly. Then she went into detail, telling me the story of when she was my mom. She also told me about, hey, mom, did you know we used to be sisters? She went into detail about that life. She was like, I was the older sister, but we were only one year apart. And we were like, it sounded to me like Victorian England. She was using language like literally, I'm not joking. She was talking about, we were wearing bustles. This is a two-year-old. Mommy, we used to wear bustles and crinolines. I mean, like, I barely knew what those were. I barely knew what those Google, words were. What is that? Literally, what does it look like? yes. And, um, and, uh, and uh, we had a life together as slaves. We had a life together as these white Victorian English women who'd been kind of, we were very upper class. And I immediately put together, oh, we had the slave, we had a slave experience. This was a sort of a US American Southern slavery. Um, we were separated 
uh, we were separated from each other and um, in slavery. And then in our next life, we incarnated as sisters in England who basically spent our lives together. And um, our parents sort of were those um, upper class uh, parents who might kind of abandon their kids or leave them to be raised by nannies or, you know what I mean? It was, it was kind of that kind of experience that we had together in this other life. And then I had a soul understanding that we had chosen that to compensate for having been separated in the previous lifetime, right? The, the pain of separation, but something had to yield us being able to spend that lifetime together. So, right, it might look weird to culture, right? Culturally, it looks weird. Oh, two sisters, we didn't marry, we didn't, we just always hung out together. You know, we spent all our time together. We didn't really advance much beyond that station. And, um, and we were sort of a little shut-in, a little, sh like kind of shut-ins and um, practiced our piano and learned languages and knitted and, you know, that's like, she explained this life to me in tremendous detail, but um, I'm very passionate about past life experience and, and I've had all kinds of past life experience uh, regressions. I've had all kinds of my own past life things reveal themselves to me. You know, Oprah did a show hypnotizing her mass audience, right? I mean, just everyday folks in Oprah's audience were hypnotized by a man named Brian Weiss, and they all were putting up their hands saying, oh my God, I was black, or I was white. A black woman put up her hand and said, I was a white man. <laughs> I mean, that this, this, is a, this is a fact of our reality. And then if we bring the law of karma into it, which is a universal law, right? We have past lives, but also our incarnations are based on our previous incarnation. It's not just, oh yeah, I was a different race. No, it's like, if you were, say, a racist white person in a previous life, you may choose to incarnate as a black person in this life and suffer, indeed, suffer what you caused people to go through in your last life. So, of course, it feels unfair, right? It doesn't feel like this, is, this isn't right. I shouldn't have to be going through that. And, and maybe that is true. You know, I personally have devoted my life to alleviating suffering, so I'm not endorsing the injustice in the world by any means, but it does make sense if looked at from a higher picture, we choose these costumes for a reason. We choose to go through certain experiences and even have certain limitations and obstacles and challenges to overcome. And those aren't just random, like, oh, I wanna go through a divorce because I just wanna experience what that's like on the level of the soul, but rather um, also based on what we've caused for others and wanting to rectify it through experiencing it for ourselves. There's just so much there. <laughs> yeah, there's so much there. Exactly. There's yeah. And so it takes some there. faith. You know, I don't expect people to just take me at face value, but that's what my journey has led me to. And I'm in this chapter of my book, just saying, what if, what if we've all been in each other's shoes? Wouldn't that change the game? Period. Wouldn't it just change the game? Couldn't we just have more compassion for each other? Couldn't we just even accept our own station in life more and then play the chess game from where we are? Because my sense is that if we want world change, we're going to have to accept the way it is rather than be in fundamental resistance to it. We can't wear it at an arm's length. And then also, if we ourselves in our past lives, just say this was true, say we had past lives, just say, possibly. And by the way, statistics show about 75% of Americans secretly believe in past lives, right? We may not believe in God even, but most people have some resonance with the idea of a past life. Um, imagine we set it up this way. We literally together in our different costumes, our different identities, right? I'm half black in this life. Let's say I was white in a past life. Uh, I, I set it up this way myself. All of us together set it up this way from where we were in the past. And, um, you know, 
history spiritually doesn't operate in the same way that it does on on the planet but it's an an excellent way to just perceive of how we wound up here and then stop blaming and pointing fingers because when we point our finger at someone three fingers point back at us and this can even be on the level of in our past life we had a hand in making it the way it is and now we're railing against how it is you know we all had a we all participated in in making it this way so even just metaphorically there are ways that we are all one that we can't see and if we can just honor our oneness whatever that might mean even if we just see it symbolically or metaphorically it can really help us to 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 just be better people ourselves to have more compassion and understanding for the places where we judge where we criticize where we can't be with something even if something that looks looks awful to us um you know to to be with it to accept it and thereby to be able to change it very powerful and and speaking from my own personal experience i've done i've done a past life regression um, not with anyone kind of professionally speaking. It was actually mm -hmm. a, a Brian Weiss who did a, a YouTube video oh, and beautiful. he led us nice. through a, mm -hmm. a meditation and, and it was, and I have to say, I was a bit afraid for a very long time. I was afraid of like, I was like, I was thinking if I have my own life to deal with, I don't know if I want to know about any mm -hmm. other lives yeah. and all yes. the other lessons and things that yeah. could come out of that. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting is that um, I, I was a man mm -hmm. and I was a sailor. And I remember wow. part of the meditation was looking down and like, who are you? Like, what are you wearing? What is your build like? I'm thinking, mm -hmm. wow, I'm, you know, rather muscly and yeah. I'm wearing brown and I'm, I'm a sailor. I'm like very gruff. And and my wife was my mom. I love it. Which just sounds it. Yes. bizarre. Like my ego mind is like, how yeah. is this possible? But yeah. there was there was a lot of uh, of things for me around. Um, she she didn't want me to leave on this trip, and there were all these children in the house, and I said, no, I, I really want to leave. Like this is this is who I am. I, mm -hmm. I'm going on the sailing wow. trip. Yeah, and. And I did leave. I remember the last thing I saw of her was she was just crying and the kids were all crying. And then on the ship, there was a huge storm and I died. Wow. And I went through that kind of limbo period of afterwards mm -hmm. where, where I asked, you know, what, what did I learn from this? And mm -hmm. I realized that I had come in into this life actually. Mm -hmm. actually with a lot of guilt around not heeding what my mother says oh yes and that Gosh. if mm -hmm. if my mom says don't do this or do that or you should do this it, like there is a lot of love around it a lot of love but a whole ton of guilt mm -hmm. and a whole ton of projection on if i were to take this step and have fun and follow my calling whatever that is that i will die wow yeah Amazing. and then i realized that it went even beyond that, mm -hmm. that it wasn't about looking for um, for peace between me and my mom, or in this case, me and my wife. It was more self-forgiveness that, that I could be okay in owning my choices. Beautiful. That yes, I, I, I chose to go on the sailing trip mm. and yes, things ended up the way it did, but I learned something out of it. Yes. If, you, if you zoom out and look at all the different lifetimes, I learned something out of it. 
and it it brought a lot of peace in in mm -hmm. my current state in this yes. lifetime where i can mm -hmm. i can think about it's not about me and my mom <clears throat> mm -hmm. and whether or not i'm doing what she says or um you know how i follow my choices but do i how can i forgive myself for my choices yeah i love that and yeah. i i would not have thought that going through a past life regression would would give that kind of of clarity and i can imagine yeah. just how powerful it would be when we when we do look at mm -hmm. race and and class and all gender and all those things because mm -hmm. after a while it just all blends <laughs> well because it is truly all one right mm -hmm. it's just different manifestations of energy it's just sort of energetic uh compilations and they're all beautiful and they all have their place and we need to honor everybody's everybody's magic um i love i love what you said about your past life regression and how healing it was because that's the question that's the answer to the question you first had in your mind like why would i bring in the complexities of a past life experience to what's already an incredibly complicated and layered life because of healing because it's so healing that's why you would do it you know you can get a lifetime's worth of healing in just a few minutes of looking at your you know your past life in an hour or two Coming up, you'll hear some tips from Naomi about how you can tap into your intuition and connect deeper with who you are on a soul level. Hey everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mouth Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. talked about doing all of this transformational work about intuition about purpose what are some tips that you may have for our listeners for for how they can go about cultivating their own senses and i know everyone mm -hmm. is different and maybe yes. maybe sharing a bit about your own story of how you cultivated your own senses would be helpful but mm -hmm. what what are some of the key things that people should know about okay the very first thing that i want to say is that once you open up to honing your intuition or to expanding it, once you kind of ask for that, and I would say start by asking for it, just put a, put a little blast out into the ether, however you like to do that, ask the universe, say it out loud, I want my intuition to be more highly activated. And then, um, or I intend, you know, or I am, I am intuitive, right, to be in the I am energy it will take you on its own journey and it won't be the same journey that I went on. You know, my particular journey took me through um, researching. I started researching, right? I was a Harvard postdoc and I was researching psychic phenomena because my daughter was psychic. I was not remotely expecting to have that wind up 
like activating or amplifying my own intuitive abilities. Okay. So you will find your own way with it and it won't be the same way I did. But I found that as I was researching, I was literally just having spontaneous activations. I read a book on palm reading and the next thing I knew I could read palms and it was way beyond what the book said, like the book doesn't, you know, people's palms would speak to me. The, a book can't teach you that, right? There was clearly something else happening, that thing we'd call intuition. Um, uh, then when I discovered tarot cards, I found that I had this incredibly deep access to a uh, sort of understanding. It almost felt like a kind of omniscience. Now, I don't want to overstate that, but Compared to my regular academic intellectual mindset, I knew so much more through the cards. I could just like almost, it felt like I could know anything uh, through the cards. I could know the truth of things, stuff in the news, uh, stuff oh, like conflicts or even like feuds or, you know, anything that I wanted to know about a person, an issue, the cards would explain to me. It's just that the explanation was never quite, uh, was always in the white light. The explanation was never, oh, they're right, they're wrong. It always deepened my understanding and my awareness. So your journey into heightening your intuition is going to lead you to um, seeing differently. A lot of times I would be held accountable for my question. Why are you asking it like that? That's not even the right question. Um, why are you invested in that, right? Like. Um, uh, there was a lot of self-accountability given to me as my intuition was activated. How did you contribute to this? How did you create this? Things that you'd never in a million years think you'd contributed to, right? Like um, where I had to take full responsibility for the creation of my own reality through my own intuition. You know, my intuition guided and steered me in very unexpected directions. It wasn't like a party trick where, oh my God, now I'm intuitive. It was a lot of... Uh, guidance to develop myself personally and to improve myself to become a better person and I thought I was a pretty good person back then I didn't realize I was the last person who would have thought I was negative or judgmental or um, uh, blaming or you know but we all are underneath without realizing it and so heightening your intuition will turn you into a better person because the guidance you'll get for yourself will uh, sort of change your relationship to yourself and then in turn to others. So first ask for the journey to reveal itself and then follow what you get. You'll be led to maybe books or people, your journey. So um, with that stated, just intuition for intuition's sake, the most important thing you could do is meditate daily. If you meditate daily, it will automatically amplify your intuition. Uh, an excellent self-care regimen is also really good for your intuition. I, I have to take such good care of myself. It's almost ridiculous to, to have my intuition operate at the level that I like it to. To have it at its highest level, I'm a pure vegan. I haven't eaten a grain in over a year. Um, no grains whatsoever. That's just me. I'm not saying that this is what you should do. This is what my intuition told me was going to help me increase my intuition. Uh, so I eat extremely, extremely healthy. I do yoga. Um, I, uh, I meditate every day without fail. You know, it's like for me, a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of discipline to maintain my intuition. That doesn't mean you have to have it. Just if you really mean it, you don't have to have that kind of discipline to have that, to have your intuition awaken. But the more intuitive you want to be, the more discipline it can require. So self-care, meditation, 
The next thing is to start challenging yourself to use your intuition to rely on it because we're sort of conditioned out of trusting it, which means that we, we don't rely on it. We, we override it. We think it's silly, right? We use our intellectual mind, our smarts, our own willpower to override our intuition all the time. And, uh, and so what you want to do is switch the equation because intuition is kind of like a friend that we've ignored for most of our lives. And so you can't just suddenly ask it to do your bidding, right? You can't just suddenly expect to be best friends from one day to the next when you haven't trusted it, you haven't relied on it, you haven't counted on it. It's not just going to suddenly do your bidding. You will have to evolve yourself into deeper level of trust. It will have to cultivate a relationship of trust with you. Your intuition will have to trust you meaning you can't be in a, an abusive relationship with your intuition, asking it to do things for you and then ignoring it, not honoring it, not heeding it, right? Your intuition's not going to just give you deep, clear guidance just in order for you to dismiss it or poo-poo it or say, no, I'm going to do it my own way or I don't believe it, right? So you have to cultivate a relationship with it. And I always say, just start small, start giving it your blind trust, and don't start with the big questions like, should I leave my marriage or not? <laughs> start with, should I go to Pilates or should I go to yoga? Should I take the subway or should I take the bus? Start asking your intuition and then whatever still small voice comes through, whatever answer comes to you, just go with it. Just trust it blindly. And then like, make sure it's not some life or death high stakes thing. And then, then just get used to, it's like training wheels, get used to making decisions based purely on intuition and trusting it blindly and letting the chips fall where they may, right? Let's say, you know, you take the wrong freeway, right? The intuition tells you to go a certain way and you do it and it doesn't appear to have been the right way. Well, there's still a good chance that was the right way. Maybe you could have gotten a car accident if you went the other way. Like just trust it blindly, no matter what the outcome. And then you can up the ante more and more and more with that. So it's like just trusting it, meditating and cultivating a, you know, cultivating a relationship with your intuition and radical self-care. Yeah, those are some of the things that I would definitely recommend. I love them all. Yeah, they're all good. All. They're, they're all, all really good. They're all win-wins. You, you know, those are just good for life, period. Those are good. That's a good way to just enhance your quality of life in general. Yeah. How do you discern between your intuition and maybe your intellectual mind? Yeah, well, the intellectual mind has a lot of judgment and there will be a blast of negativity attached to it. If there's any fear attached to it, um, it's intellectual because, let's see, um, how to put this? So in my readings for people, bad things happen to people all the time, right? I mean, they just do. But in a reading, it's not couched as a bad thing. And so there's nothing to fear, like life is going to happen. And so intuition doesn't come with like a foreboding. Like if anyone's telling you, oh my God, such and such is going to happen to you. If anyone is saying that to you, saying my intuition told me, if there's a warning, like a literal warning attached to it, that, that is a fear-based warning and not a love-based uh, energy and not an inspirational-based energy, right? It, the word inspiration means in spirit. And intuitive guidance I find is quite inspiring like even as I was sharing a little earlier, when my intuition awakened, it was quite, you know, it beat me up, but with such love and white light that I was, I was only helped by it. I didn't feel bad. I felt good. It felt good to be shown those truths. 
and they were the kind of thing that like maybe if your sister said it to you you know well you're not being very generous or you're not being you know very kind or you know like you're being too blaming or too judgmental you'd be hurt and offended but in when it's your intuition speaking accurate right when it's intuition and not your mind there's no energy of judgment or it's not going to hurt you it's going to feel good to be told the truth so that's the number one way is that it uh it feels in spirit it feels inspired it feels in flow no matter whether it's a quote-unquote positive or negative, right? meaning regardless of if it's one of what you want to hear or not, it goes down with flow. Right? You know it to be true, even if it's not what you like. You feel a rightness. You feel a white light energy around it. Any fear, charge, reactivity is, um, is, your, is your mind projecting meanings onto things. I like when you say that that sometimes your intuition beats you up. <laughs> Looking back at all those moments mm-hmm. when when it was a maybe a major decision making point when mm-hmm. I was leaving my job, my career to kind of be public about all of this. Yeah. Oh yeah, my intuition beat me up. Yes. Told me things that I didn't want to hear. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my ego mind was kicking and screaming and saying, "No, no, no. This yeah. is this is not what I want to hear right mm-hmm. now, but there is a part of you that is always there that inherently knows its truth. Exactly. It feels That's what really it's about. Good. Yeah. It feels really yeah. good. I mean, it kind of sucks it. at the same time, but it feels really good. Well, it makes life more challenging. It makes us, it, you take on a level of accountability, uh, a new level of responsibility to life, to yourself. It is, it's, it's work. I always warn people when they start working with me, especially if you want to do a three month journey, like you'll, you're taking on something. It's karmic. Like it's, it's, you're really adding a dimension to your life here. You know, this isn't something to be toyed with. This isn't something you do lightly out of curiosity. This is going to transform you and it's going to, you know, deepen your intimacy with life itself. Yeah. My last question is something I've always I've always loved asking because of the kind of you have a view of of the academic and Mm -hmm. rational side as well as the intuitive and spiritual side. What would you say if you could do a research project, maybe it's a science experiment, maybe it's um, an interdisciplinary dialogue, what would you like to have this research project focused on? Who would I who would be it. who would the stakeholders be? And I'm like saying stakeholders because I came from that <clears throat> world of consulting. And I know. I'm like, like I research. don't know. I don't even know like what a who, stakeholder is, who, girlfriend. Like someone <laughs> who's who has some investment in in understanding more of of spirituality and uh, intuition and consciousness. Because I feel like uh, one example is that the more I think part of why now meditation is just so mainstream meditation and mindfulness is so mainstream is because there have been a very scientific angle yes. at looking at what happens in the brain and, to be and sure kind of, kind of demonstrating yes. mm-hmm. what's going on even though yeah. you know for thousands of years people have believed people have known it's, this it's science you know, has finally proven it right exactly. thousands of years after the fact <laughs> right exactly yes. and I, I do feel that at, maybe at this level of consciousness now that that scientific part is necessary 
scary. And if that's a gateway for people to try it out when they wouldn't mm-hmm. have tried it out before, then why not? Yes. So, so And science is also not a like a, a monolithic thing either. There's all kinds of science that's kind of proving magic at this point as well, right? right. String theory, you know, science isn't some fixed entity, even though sometimes we spiritual folks like to make fun of its limitations. Everything has its limitations and everything has its own different iterations of itself. So science has some progressive and open-hearted and open-minded inquiries, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yes. But yes, but continue. Yeah. Um, So I guess my question is, if you, if you could imagine a great research or science experiment or project that could move this field forward, Mm mm-hmm. And whatever that looks like. What would it be? What would it be? I love it. Because it's basically what I'm doing. Um, it's it's the it's just can be said in one word, oneness. Oneness. Now, um, we have MLK Day coming up here in the US in a few days. And um Martin Luther King had a beautiful quote about the interrelated structure of reality. And he was saying that, you know, back in the 60s. And Reality is all interrelated. Everything is connected to each other. So my scientific experiment would be on the fact of oneness and just showing all the ways that it's so, and science can easily prove it. You know, we are literally all interconnected um, uh, in so many ways, right? Energetically, science has now proven that we're affected by one another's emotions. So we're connected by that. Imagine in New York City here with right? Millions of people interacting with each other all the time, and we're exchanging energies as we do it. And this is a scientific, scientifically proven thing, you know, intuitives have always known this, of course, but we're affecting each other's energy, which means there's a oneness. Um, There's a oneness between us, we're breathing the same air, every one of us, right? Not only are we all breathing, but we are literally taking in the literally same air, the air that's all, you know, you and I are sharing the same air here in this studio, and that generates a oneness. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways I can point to uh, the, uh, you know, the fact of oneness, but it's oneness with everything. But I'm, of course, interested in human oneness and how we're all interconnected across our differences, our differences and our samenesses. And um, when when you start studying oneness, it's... um. It's a oneness of on the level of individuality, like the issue of wholeness, meaning oneness, like we are a oneness unto ourselves. We are a universe unto ourselves, each one of us, a fully stocked universe. And, and the oneness of that fully stocked universe that is us also being interconnected with everything else on the planet. So there's a larger picture oneness, and there's the oneness, sort of I like to say the oneness within and the oneness without. And so that would be my scientific study on on the fact of oneness, but where oneness allows for the differences, the spectrums, the diversity of all that is, uh, right? It's not a oneness where we draw like a, you know, a wash, where we wash everything together, like pouring a drop of water into a bucket where it all becomes one thing. It's oneness allows for all of these different outcroppings of human experience. But from a, a, a position of love and a position of shared collective consciousness that we really are all in this together. Beautifully said, beautifully said. I see it as a microcosm of the universe and a macrocosm on an infinite number of levels. And it's kind of mind blowing. That's beautiful. And it's, it's just, I think, 
if we we all put our heads together, including you, our listeners, we I'm sure we can come up with all sorts of great ideas and ways for for this oneness to to, to, to be in a dialogue about it and brainstorming ideas and and just, you know, having fun with it, exploring what it means. So I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. And how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about your work? Best way is to go to my website, www.naomipabst.com. So it's N-A-O-M-I-P-A-B-S-T. Com. And I would love for you to subscribe. I send out a weekly newsletter. And um, my newsletters are a little different from most in that I just share my heart every week. It's my place to share my wisdom and my heart. And uh, it's, it's sort of where I'm hiding out. Uh, it's where you can find me each week. I commit to a self-expression, which is sort of exactly what I wish for people to know and to to hash out for that week. And you'll also, when you opt in, get a video, a beautiful video that I made on um, uh, really how to know yourself, like how to discover who you really are, right? Which is all a part of the oneness, right? The self-discovery journey is such a key part of evolving into oneness because it starts with knowing who we ourselves are and accessing deeper levels of authenticity. So you'll get a beautiful video and then you'll get my weekly newsletter where I really just share something some soul as i like to call them soul thoughts and then in each newsletter at the bottom is just like news that's where you can find out where my next uh workshops and stuff are you know so you can read my soul wisdom and then underneath that uh, you know whatever my latest offerings are so i'd love to have you as part of my community awesome naomi it is such a pleasure having you on the show to hear about your journey to to know that we were ships passing in the yes. night and now to connect on this um so many years later uh i just can't wait to see what more you do oh thank you so much julie it was such an honor to be here i loved this conversation it was a really wonderful opportunity to further think through what i think and to connect with you it was a joy and a pleasure to connect with you thank you beautiful and for you, oh, there's just so many good nuggets in this episode. Um, one homework for you is to really take Naomi's suggestions around um, cultivating your intuition. You know, go back, see what you can, see what you can find and explore with it. Because I really think it's an experiment and it's designed to be fun. You have no idea where it's going to lead you, but that's sort of the whole point: is to be living in that unknown because the unknown can be magical so go for that and and let us know how it goes so until next time be on the lookout for all possibilities follow the show on twitter instagram and facebook at all possible show Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us.
This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.